that can happen in your life, and that is the giving and the receiving of forgiveness. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. In your bulletin, there is an outline of this morning's message. Part of that is filled out because we covered part of this message last week. I'll do a little review of that uh, to kind of catch you up to speed on this powerful, powerful force of, of forgiveness. If you're a guest with us for the first time, we welcome you. Glad that you're here. There's also in your bulletin a connection card. If you'll take a moment and fill that out with the, as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. And uh, there are baskets at the exit doors. You can drop that off on your way out this morning. And there's also a gift for you uh, at those bas- right beside that basket where you're dropping off your um, connection card. Uh, we just want to say we're so, so happy that you're here with us worshiping the Lord Jesus. So uh, Jesus taught his disciples a model prayer. And uh, one of the things that disciples noticed about the life of Jesus, that he was so, so different when he come out of that time of private prayer with his heavenly Father. And of all the things they could have asked Jesus to have taught them in a greater way, this is the only one they asked for. Lord, teach us how to pray. And so this prayer was not given, so it's just something that we recite over and over again without really giving much thought as to what it is Jesus is modeling for us. But we have broken this prayer down in the steps of how you can spend time with your Heavenly Father in a deep, deep, rich time of prayer. So it's not just a grocery list prayer time where you just, you know, load up your list, drop it off at Jesus' feet and take care of that and, and, you know, in the name of Jesus, just take care of those things. We're talking about a prayer of worship. This is a prayer of adoration that prepares our heart so that we come to the Father fully surrendered and that when we come to that place of fully, fully being surrendered to Him, then we are able to step into these avenues, and one of probably the one most difficult things for us to deal with is this issue of forgiveness. So Jesus said, the model prayer is, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now I want you to notice the word that Jesus uses. He did not say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. He uses the word debt, a debt and debtor. Why does he use that? Well, we're going to unpack that this morning and show you how you can exercise the same forgiveness towards others that Christ has displayed towards you. When my mother was uh, in her mid-60s, she had a massive heart attack. And as a result of that heart attack, she ended up having a triple bypass and a valve replacement. So obviously, she had some massive heart issues that were undetected up to that point. She had never had an arteriogram where they can shoot dye into the veins and see where there are blockages, but she had symptoms, right? So, but her symptoms, one of the main symptoms that she had prior to her heart attack was back pain. Well, this was not unusual for my mom. My mother had had four back surgeries uh, by that time in her life. So back pain was not unusual, but that was the main, never had chest pains, never discomfort down the arm. All of it was in her back the day that she suffered her heart attack. And so she had been treated for symptoms all of her life, back pain, the inability to sleep, um, you know, just a lot of different things that we can, we can spend our lives um, trying to deal with our symptoms. We can go to the doctor's office with symptoms, but they never really determine that, well, at the heart of the issue here is not your back pain. It's not your loss of sleep. It's not your 
appetite. It's, it's you've got a heart issue. And so Jesus said to us um, in Matthew that there are a lot of issues that come out of our heart, right? And they are symptoms that we deal with every day of our lives. Things like, you know, bad thoughts and, you know, murder. Not, not necessarily you physically murder somebody, but the Bible says that, you know, if you hate your brother, that you, you've already committed murder in your heart. Adultery, again, you look upon a, a woman with lust, uh, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Theft, false testimonies, slandering somebody, gossiping about somebody. He said all these issues come out of the heart, and they are mere symptoms of a heart issue. So he said, in essence, the, the, um, the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. So when we come to this section of this prayer that Jesus is giving to us, one of the things he is saying to us is this. We can spend our entire lives dealing with uh, symptoms of our heart problem without ever dealing with the real heart issue, and therefore, nothing ever changes in our life. We're, always, we're just always going to be the same. We're never going to get over certain issues. We're never going to be able to move on. We're never going to see really change happen in our lives because we just keep going back and trying to treat the same symptoms, but we really never treat the real issue, which is the issue of the heart. So there are four heart issues, what I call four artery blocking issues in your life that you deal with day in and day out. And all of the symptoms that you deal with in your lifetime will tie back to one of these heart issues. And so the first one is that of guilt. And guilt says, I owe you. Right? Guilt says, I owe you. Then there is anger. Anger says, you owe me. Right? You've hurt me in some way, you owe me. And then there is greed. Greed says, I owe myself. And then there is the fourth one, which is jealousy, which is a hard one for us because jealousy says, God owes me. God owes me. And so you'll note the, the similarity between these four hard issues. There is a debt-to-debtor relationship. This is exactly where Jesus went with this prayer model. There's a debt to debtor relationship that we have to deal with in our lives. Because all four of these symptoms create this debt-to-debtor relationship. Somebody owes me something. For example, if you owed somebody money and you walked into a room and you've not paid them, and, and you know the bill's long overdue, and there's going to be what? Tension in the relationship. Because you know you owe the money, you've not paid them back, you've not even made an effort to pay them back, and so you know that they know and now all of a sudden there's tension in the room. So there's only one or two things you can do to alleviate that tension. Either you pay the debt that you owe, or the person to whom you owe forgives you of the debt and says, you know what, I'm canceling the debt. You don't owe me anything. Consider it a gift. And so this debt-to-debt relationship plays a huge, huge role in our pathway to change in life. So here's the first thing we talked about last week is I have to review my artery-breaking bla- artery, uh, habits um, or blocking habits. So here's, here's the issue is that when you are dealing with symptoms, like maybe you're dealing with issue, you know, of, you know, I'm just really envious of this person or really, you know, I'm just, I'm really sarcastic. I don't really know why I'm sarcastic, but I'm just so sarcastic and and I'm really, and you've got all these symptoms that you're trying to deal with, I can assure you, again, you need to sit down with God and just spend some time, list out these four 
artery blocking habits, those symptoms are going to fit into one of those categories. You need to understand what those are. For example, I know someone who is extremely sarcastic, just, you know, and they think that that's just part of the way they are. You know, that's just the way God created me. That's just who I am. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is this individual has some very deep-seated emotional problems, downright almost to hatred towards her mother that she's never dealt with and will not deal with. And so that sarcasm would go under this anger issue. She is angry at her mother, and she feels like there's some things her mother owes her, but is never repaid. Right, so this is kind of how this works out. Guilt, I owe you, right? If I've, if I've done something I perceive as wrong, I feel like I owe you something. Now remember, every wrong can be related to an, art, uh, to an act of theft. Somebody has stolen something. You, you know, so that's why we use the terminology, I owe you an apology. I owe you this. So, for example, and I give you an example out of my own family. When my dad left our family and my mother, you know, and those kids, uh, we're all left behind. My dad takes off, another woman, another state. They, my parents divorce. And so now what has is, what is my dad stolen? He's stolen something from everyone in my family. He stole from my mother. He's, he stole her reputation. He stole her marriage. He stole her uh, financial security. He, she, he stole her companionship. What did he steal from us kids? Well, he, he stole a lot of things. You know, I, he stole us from having a father at home, and he stole... So you can start listing out all the things you feel like are owed you because somebody has done, but my, from my dad's perspective, he didn't feel like he, he stole anything. In fact, he gained something, right? He gained a new wife. He gained a new family. Uh, but later on, then when guilt hits and says, well, maybe I shouldn't have done what I did, uh, and then, you know, you feel obligated to pay back. Anger says, you owe me, right? I'm not getting what I deserve. So all anger, James says, the reason we quarrel and fight, have problems among each other relationally, is because we, we want something that we're not getting. You owe me something and I'm not getting it, therefore I become angry. And oftentimes anger is driven by hurt, it's driven by pain. The root of anger is the perception that some, something has been taken from me, something is owed me, there's a debt-to-debtor relationship, and beware If anger is lodged in your heart before long, you will come to believe that everybody owes you anywhere, anytime, anyplace. And so anger is a real issue in our lives because anger never remains anger. It always evolves. It evolves into resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. And once it's gone there, bad things begin to happen. Think about greed. I, I owe myself. You know, greedy people believe that enough is never enough, and they, they're just uh, always looking for more. And sometimes we uh, fuel this because of the way we were raised, right? So if you were raised in a very poor home, and so there was not much financial security, and when you get out, out of the home, you start making your own money, your own living, your own career. Now all of a sudden you can begin hoarding stuff because, you know, you're going to make sure that you never end up in that same financial situation that you're, you grew up in as, as a child, and so you're trying to protect yourself from all of the what-ifs, and so greed is often driven by fear. Now, one of the difficult ones for us is that of jealousy. God owes me. When we think about jealousy, envy, those kinds of things, we think about, well, what we lack, right? Well, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, 
you know, I don't, I'm, I don't, my looks aren't good enough, and I don't have enough ability, and I don't have enough skill, and I don't have, and we, we can list off all the things that we feel like we're lacking, but the point is, there is an inequity there that God could have removed. He could have made you smarter when he made you. He could have made you better looking when he made you. He could have given you certain skills when he designed you in your mother's womb. He could have done a lot of things. So then this branches out beyond those things to, well, why is it that God took my husband? Why did God give me cancer? Why did God allow this to happen? Because in your mind, God could have kept all of these things from happening. And whether you're willing to admit it or not, you become jealous over those who, um, who have what it is you want, what you desire. And when bottom push comes to shove, it is God's fault because God could have stopped this. He could have kept it from happening. He could have made things different. And so our jealousy is really driven by the fact that we feel like God owes us. So these are areas of our lives, our heart. So we talked about what is our next step? How do we resolve this sense of guilt? We're just dealing with guilt now. Forgive us what? Our debts. Forgive me my, of my guilt. What is the first step? It is I must confess and repent of my sin. All right? So we went to First uh, John in chapter 1, and we said, all right, here's John. He deals with this issue of guilt. All right, so John is writing to believers. He says, listen, I want you to know that Jesus, the Son of God, his sin has purified us from all sin. Our, he, he, your guilt's been removed. God has taken your sin past, present, and future. He's marked it paid in full, and he has canceled the debt. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. West, as far as God's concerned, you are righteous in a right relationship with him. Well, if that's the case, why do I feel so guilty when I do things wrong? And, I, and what do I do with that guilt? And why is confession and repentance even important? And so I tried to, to correlate between the difference between a judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is what happened when you gave your life to Christ. God forgave all your sins, marked it paid in full. You're, you're now enveloped in the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees Christ, right? So parental forgiveness, though, remember John's writing to believers, not unbelievers. There is parental forgiveness is, has an, it, the issue of fellowship, right? So if I, my, my children do, do something like against me, they're always going to be my children. There's nothing my children can do to erase the fact they're always going to be my kids. But the fellowship factor might be a different issue, right? We may not be getting along. And so there's tension in the room, uh, you know, there's some, there's some guilt going on, and the only way I can alleviate that guilt is either, A, somebody is going to say, hey, um, I, I forgive you, uh, I'm canceling the debt, or I have to pay it back in my mind, right? So confession simply means I'm bringing into, I'm exposing my sin before God. Not because this is not a relational issue with, between you and God, it is a fellowship issue. I've sinned, I feel guilty, I feel like I owe something. If I sin against you, let's say I gossip about you, and I sin against you, God convicts me of that, I feel guilty, the only way is, is for, to alleviate that guilt is probably I'm going to have to go to you and say, you know what, I said some things about you, I was wrong, it was wrong for me to do that, I, I'm asking you if you would forgive me. 
And that person say, yes, I, I, I forgive you for what you've done. So what are now? I, I've alleviated the guilt. I've, I've taken the tension out of the relationship. Here's our problem when it comes to confession. Confession is not just like a one-time thing. It is a process. One of the dangers of confession that I learned early on in my Christian life was, well, I'm just going to confess everything to God every night, right? So here's my sin bucket I filled up all day long. So at night, before I go to bed, I'm just going to confess every sin I can remember. God, forgive me this. God, forgive me this. God, forgive me this. And so, I, you know, I just confess my sin bucket every night, and I, that way I could sleep, and I get up the next day, knowing in my heart and mind that I'm probably going to fill that bucket up again with the very things I confessed the night before, and I do this day after day after day. And so there's no real change in my life. There's no real desire to quit doing what I'm doing. I just want to alleviate my sense of guilt before God, so I just keep confessing it on my sin bucket, right? So that way I feel better about myself every day. So the danger of that is, if you're not careful over time, your confession habit will begin, uh, it will begin to support your sin habit. Because there's no real desire to change. There's no real desire to make anything different. I just want to alleviate the guilt. That's not what confession is about. All through the Bible, confession is associated with change, and that's where repentance comes in. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction in life. In other words, if I'm truly confessing my sin before God, because I know that this is like, you know, I feel guilty before my Heavenly Father, then I come before Him, and remember what 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, God's faithful and righteous to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. And so I, I know that God's going to forgive me. He's already forgiven me of all my sins anyways. This is the fellowship issue. It's not a relational issue anymore. And so I'm confessing it to alleviate my sense of guilt of what I owe God. I owe him confession. Like, Lord, you know, I, I've made this mistake. I'm asking you to forgive me. And I know you forgive me through Christ. But God, I want you to know that in my heart, I don't want this to continue on. God, I want to do whatever is necessary to help me change to keep from doing, committing, and repeating the same sin over and over again. That's repentance that says, I'm changing my mind, because you can't change your emotions until you change your mind. Your thoughts affect your emotions, which affects what you do. So repentance has to do with your mind, emotions, and your will, the part of you that makes decisions. And so when I approach it that way, now I'm approaching it from the perspective of, I'm not just trying to alleviate the guilt, I really want to come before my Heavenly Father, because I really want to change. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that way. I want to walk like Jesus walked. I want to be, live a Christ-centered life. And it's not that, you know, we may alleviate something for the rest of our lives. We may defect back into it. Um, but at least I'm doing it less, right? So, for example, when I first got saved, I cussed like a sailor. Before I got saved, I was still cussing like a sailor after I got saved. But remember, when our, with our sin, we can curtail our sin based on our environment. So, you know, I didn't always cuss in church, although it slipped out a lot. But now when I was outside of church with my friends, no holds bar, right? It's just like, phew, just let it fly. So um, I'd confess that, but God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And, I, you know, I'd beg God to forgive me, and I'd bribe God, oh, God, if you forgive me again, I, I'm telling you what, I, 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 will, I, I will do this and this. And, and so I'm, I'm trying all these things with God, but nothing is changing because nothing changed up here. I never really saw how my sin affected others around me until my stepfather 
heard me one night. Hey, come in here. We need to have a conversation. My stepfather was not a saved man. But even he knew that the foulness coming out of my mouth was not a positive thing. And God convicted me of that. I was still a party animal after I got saved. You know what God did? He used a a young woman at a party I was at. And she said, I thought you started going to church. Yeah, man, yeah, I'm I'm going to First Baptist. We're having a great time. She says, and what are you doing here? God immediately convicted me. Yeah, what are you doing there? Why are you still engaging in that lifestyle? And so that began the first step of the process of change. So here's number three is I resolved to make restitution. Listen very carefully to what Jesus said. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Can you imagine what what these individuals who are listening to Jesus are thinking? Because at this point in time, they okay, so if they took a sacrifice to the temple, that means they either had to take a sacrifice out of their flock or they had to go purchase one. That you had to put forth a lot of effort. You had to go to the temple, you know, it was taken to the temple and there was the brazen altar. I mean, the animal was slaughtered before your eyes, the throat slid, and blood's put on you by the priest, and then everything's put. This was quite an ordeal. And Jesus saying, Listen, before you go through all that ordeal, and even though you've gotten the animal and you're like right there at the altar, he says, If you, if if somebody's got something against you, drop the drop the offering at the altar and you go make it right. You make restitution with that person. Why would Jesus tell them to do that? Because these are relational issues. And so Jesus comes along and says, our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with other people. The two are inseparable. And so this is not to suggest that we're obligated to confess to someone every time we have a, you know, an evil thought about them. That's not what he's talking about here. But when our sins have caused another person to be hurt and you need to make restitution, you need to go and do that. For example, I know someone this week who something happened to them at work, two other people were involved, you know, words were exchanged and it wasn't pretty and... Um, this person was offended. They were hurt by it all. And this person then said to me, you know what? Uh, during my week uh, in my devotional with God, I'm just praying. And God says, you know, you didn't handle that very well. Well, well Lord, I'm the one, you know, I, I'm the one was hurt. No, you didn't handle that very well. You need to go back and make restitution. And so she, she did. She texted the person and she says, listen, I, I need to make, I need to apologize. I, I know the way I handled that was not right. I'm sorry if it created, you know, hurt in your, in, in your heart. And, and she texted back, you know, God was saying the same thing to me. And I want you to know. And so then the third person got involved. And that long story short, you know, it's, it was all reconciled. Why, why does Jesus make us do that? Because you're not quite so quick to sin if you have to make restitution, if possible. All right, so I'm not going to be so quick to gossip about you. If my mind is just like, well, if I just confess it to God, it's all right. It's all done. It's settled. Mm, no. 
No, it's not. You really need to go back to that person and say, you know what, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, can you always make restitution? No. Do people always receive your restitution uh, by saying, yes, thank you for doing that. Uh, yes, I, I forgive you. No. They don't always respond in a positive way. It's not always to go back able to do that. But if you have hurt somebody, and if you think that their bitterness and anger uh, over how you have hurt them is like done and gone as far as they're concerned, now as a believer, they need to exercise that forgiveness and move on. But if you, if you think that they've all, everybody's done that, that you've hurt, you're sadly mistaken. Because it might be that they need they need that restitution from you. And this is what Jesus says. If we really want to change, then if I have to go back and make restitution, it's a whole different ball game than if I'm just confessing it to my Heavenly Father in private. But again, it doesn't mean every sin you do, you have to go back and make restitution for every sin. But if you know that you've hurt somebody, and it's in your power, your ability to live at peace with everyone, as Paul says, then you need to go back and make that restitution. Number four, then I receive forgiveness from God, right? I've reviewed these areas of my life. I've confessed and repented my sin, and I've accepted my responsibility, and I resolved to make restitution, and now I've received the forgiveness of the Father. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us come boldly into your throne, of grace, our gracious God. There we, we, we will find mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is forgiveness for all the things that you've done in the past. Grace is the ability to change the future, right? The changes that you need to make in your life to make changes in the future so that we are sinning less and living more and more like Jesus as time goes by, right? We don't all get it right. We don't all get it right all the time. We all make these mistakes. We all commit sin. We all have guilt in our life. And it's, listen, God doesn't want you sitting around beating yourself up. That's not the purpose of confession and repentance and making restitution and receiving God's forgiveness. God's not wanting you to beat yourself up. He understands the weakness of our flesh, the deception of our hearts, and, but there is this debt-to-debtor relationship that is established when I feel guilty or when I am guilty in harming or hurting somebody else. That needs to be alleviated. And so here's number five is, I reveal my faults to a friend. And here's why. Because you're only as sick as your secrets. Remember what I said about these heart issues? They love to stay in secrecy. They love to remain in the darkness because they grow there. But when you expose them, now all of a sudden it takes on a different light. You're, you're exposing it to the light of God's truth. Now why would God say, well... So in James chapter 5 and verse 16, God says, you, you can confess your sin to me, and that's great and wonderful because I want you to know I have forgiven you, and I want to alleviate the guilt. I don't want us to live in this relationship, guilt to, you know, debt to debt or relationship. I want you to know that you're forgiven, and uh, I want you to experience the healing of that whole thing. But um, if you really want to experience spiritual healing, you're going to have to own up to some stuff in your heart stuff that you just can't tackle on your own. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. Do you want to know why in the Lord's Prayer, every pronoun is in the plural? In fact, every time the church is talked about, you in the English translation is really you all. You're from the South. 
in the plural? Because we are a body of Christ. We are a body of believers. We are to be accountable to one another. We are to help one another and carry one another's burdens and help each other in our spiritual growth. You just can't shoulder these things on your own. The sin issues that were going on in my life, especially early on as a believer, I tried and tried and tried and tried to stop those things on my own, and I could not, no matter how hard I tried, until I was willing to bring somebody else into the equation. Now, the purpose of this, and and God's very, again, the root of the problem is relational. Your relationship to God and your messed up relationships with other people is the the root of your problem, and therefore you have to include somebody else. The purpose of including somebody is not that they sit down and say, well, let me just tell you what you need to do, da-da-da-da-da. No, you need to get this stuff out in the open. I have this problem. I'm struggling with it. It's an ongoing issue. I really want to change this. I really want to get victory in my life in this area, but I'm just really not sure how to do it. I'm not sure what the next step is. And this person just begins praying with you over you and begins speaking truth into your life. Maybe they begin to see things that are blind spots to you, but very, you know, glaring to them about, hey, here's some areas that you really need to deal with. These are some issues you really need to, you need to take care of if you're going to have victory in this area of your life, because I'm going to share you Whatever the coping mechanism is that you have, it ties back to one of these artery-blocking issues in your heart. And so you've got to have somebody who's going to help you unpack that, unfold that, and be accountable to you. That might be a counselor. It may be a trusted friend. Whatever it is, okay, you need to get help. Stop thinking that you can overcome these things on your own because it's a lie of the enemy. All he's going to do is try to keep this stuff in the dark and in secrecy, and you're never going to change that area of your life until it gets exposed and it's brought out in the open. I'm not saying, the Bible doesn't advocate you come to church and then confess to everybody out here, hey, let me tell you all about my deep, deep, dark secrets. No, but you do find somebody or somebodies that you can unpack that with and they can help you. Now, the second half of this is where Jesus deals with and forgive us as we have also forgiven our debtors, right? So I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, because here's where Paul unpacks really what this is truly all about, forgiving our debtors. And we don't have a lot of time, but we're, we're going we're gonna to take a stab at this. This is the issue, okay, so guilt means I owe you. Anger means you owe me. Anger is a real issue, and anger fuels resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. Right, unforgiveness is a huge, 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 huge heart-blocking issue in many believers' lives. And we think to ourselves, well, you don't understand my story, you don't understand what's happened to me, and I can tell you my story, and we can all sit down and tell each other our stories. But if you want to alleviate yourself from what's driving that, then here is, here's the counter to that. It's forgiveness. Right? The counter to guilt is confession and repentance. The antidote to guilt, confession and repentance. The antidote to anger is going to be forgiveness because your anger is being fueled by something. Show me an angry person, I'll show you somebody who's been hurt. Right? So you can be hurt in a lot of different ways. And some of you, 
You, you experienced deep traumatic hurt early on in your lives. I understand that. I sympathize with you. And if you have been sexually abused, that is the deepest form of hurt against a human being that can be experienced. And that goes to a whole nother level of learning to, how to forgive and to work your way through that process. But here's what Paul says to us in this, this letter to the believers in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, the, get, the word get rid of means to remove from you. How many of you have ever been walking along and all of a sudden you walk right, I mean, your face right into a cobweb? Like, it's like plastered on you. Right, what's the first thing you do? He's like, man, Okay, so like our signage out here in the parking lot for guests, there was a spider that was building a web between those. And I come off the parking lot, you know, I park my car, and I'm coming into the building, and I walk right into that thing. I'm like, well, this is the concept that Paul's giving you here. Get rid of it. Get it off of you. Do not allow it to take root inside of you, because if you do, it's only going to bring harm to your life. Do you know any happy, angry people? I don't. Do you know uh, people who um, harbor anger and live in it and seethe in it that oftentimes they leave a wake of destruction in their life? Why is that? Because you're not, you're not capable of handling that very well. Right, at some point, it's going to explode. You might be a stuffer, and you just keep stuffing it down, stuffing it down. Years go by, stuffing, 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 stuffing. But at some point, everything's going to explode, and it's like a volcano, and it's going to erupt. And everybody in your wake is going to suffer because of it. And so Paul says, yeah, let's, let's get rid of this. Notice how he lists the, the relational wedges here. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. And then he just kind of like throws in malice. So let me just throw malice in there, which malice is like every will, ill will you have towards somebody else. And so it's like he's covered the bases here. So whatever negative emotion you are harboring, regardless of whom you are harboring it against, he says, get rid of it. And I mean, get rid of it quickly. Keep a short list. Don't let this thing go on. Now, you might say, well, I kind of find this offensive. You know, this guy lived 2,000 years ago. What does he know? He doesn't know my story. Now, remember, when Paul wrote this letter, he wasn't sitting on an island sipping, you know, lattes and in a hammock. He's in a Roman prison. And he's in a Roman prison because he was faithful to sharing the gospel. He's awaiting his execution. So Paul's writing this letter. I mean, he has every reason to be angry, right? A little bitter at people. Uh, but he's saying, listen, you, you need to do this. So before you cut Paul off and you think, well, this is not possible, Jesus said it is possible. What if he is right? What if there is a way that we can cut this out of our hearts like a skilled surgeon, so that what is left in its wake is not, notice how he contrasts in verse uh, 42. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving each other, right? So kind and compassion rather than malice and brawling, right? So those are the two contrasts. I got malice and brawling and slandering and all this stuff. But over here, I got kind and compassion. How do I get from this to kind and compassion? 
He says, the only bridge from this to this is forgiveness. That's the bridge. That's the only way it's going to happen. Now, you may say, but you don't understand, Pastor. Um, I'm the one who's received the hurt. I'm the one who received the rejection. I'm the one who has received the criticism. I'm the victim here. Please do not take on the mentality of a victim. A victim mentality says, I have no control over this. I'm powerless. I'm at the mercy of others. I can only react. I'm a prisoner the rest of my life. That is not the case. Here's what I see with people who have the victim mentality is you're constantly telling your story, right? So every time you're in a class maybe with other people and so, you know, you, you, you're dealing with all the symptoms of your anger and bitterness and resentment, and, but you, as you're telling it, you always go back to, well, you know, I had, a, I had a really horrible time growing up and this happened to me and this happened and this happened in life and this happened in life. I, I'm telling you, we've all had horrible things happen to us, some worse than others. That's not even the issue. You live in a fallen world among fallen people and stuff happens. I give you that. But please do not think to yourself that you have to be a prisoner to your past when Jesus came to set you free from that and to give you the freedom to walk in kindness and compassion rather than anger and slander and malice and brawling and all the other stuff that goes along with that. It's not the way you have to live. And so if if these feelings of victimization are fueling your life, you need, to, you need to lop that off. And he says forgiving is, is the way you do it. Now, had Paul stopped like, and, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, had he put a period right there, we'd all been like, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to do that. Um, man, forgiving, kindness, compassion. I, I, I'm, I'm just not sure I can, I can do that. But notice what he went on to say. This is real important. Just as Christ forgave you. This gives us a whole new perspective when it comes to forgiveness and why it's important. The kindness and compassion Paul refers to are fueled by an attitude of forgiveness, but not just any forgiveness, but forgiveness that mirrors the kind of forgiveness that God has extended to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. That sets a whole new perspective on the situation. And you say, well, and notice what he says, just as. I mean, you need to bold, you know, you need to highlight that. You need to to circle it. Just, well, just just as Christ forgave. Well, how did Jesus forgive you? How did he forgive me? Well, there's a story, and I'm just going to give you the highlight of the story. You can jot this passage down and read it for yourself later out of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus had been talking and all of a sudden Peter comes up to him and says, hey Lord, uh, I got a question. You know, there's this guy who's really like giving me a hard time and criticizing me and just really bringing harm into my life. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? Now, according to the Jewish rabbis, three times was enough. So Peter's like, I'm being generous here, Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, oh, no, 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 Peter. I I just see Jesus put his hand on Peter's shoulder. No, no, Peter. No, 70 times. In other words, there's never a time you don't forgive. 
And then he goes on to a story. Before Peter has even a chance to respond, Jesus launches into a parable about a king who's owed a lot of money. And this guy owes the king more money than he could ever pay. And he says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to sell off your belongings, your your children, your wife. Everything's going to be gone. And the guy says, look, please have mercy on me. And the king says, okay. And he forgave him. He says, I'm canceling the debt. Uh, Did you hear the word? Cancel the debt. That's what forgiveness means, to cancel the debt. So the guy receives this. Remember, if there's the elephant in the room, there's a debt-to-debtor relationship between he and the king. The only way he can eliminate that is either pay the debt, which he couldn't, or have the king cancel the debt. Now watch this. If you're the king and you're canceling the debt, you have to absorb the cost of all of that. So he cancels his debt, lets him go, and then he finds some guy who owes him a fraction of what he owed the king and demands him to give him his money now. The guy can't pay him back. He says, listen, I'll try to make payments to you. Nope, nope, I'm having you thrown in jail. He has the guy thrown in jail. And then word gets back to the king about what he has just done. And the king, to put it in the Greg translation, ticked. Big time. And if you read the very last phrase of what Jesus says in that parable, see, I'm going to tell you what, if you refuse to forgive others as I have forgiven you, I will, I will turn you over to the tormentor. I will put you in jail and turn you over to the tormentor. Who's the tormentor? Satan is. See, when you harbor unforgiveness in your life, You've just opened up the door for Satan's activity in your life. You've just given him room to build all kinds of fortresses in your mind, in your thought processes, in your emotions that will forever keep you in jail and in prison. And Jesus went on to say, and really the telling of the, this whole parable is like, man, it's, it's exactly what he said in Matthew 6. If you refuse to forgive others, Don't expect the Father to forgive you. Now remember, this isn't about relationship. It's about fellowship. In other words, Jesus says you can't be hating on your brother and loving God at the same time. You you can't exclude people like that. We are relational beings. And if we're not in a right relationship with my brothers and sisters and people around me, then I'm not in a right relationship with God. And I need to do something about that. I need to upload, offload, cancel the debt. So let me give you in closing how you do that because it's very four easy, very, well, I say easy steps. They're not easy in that. But it's necessary. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Paul said. Forgiveness is not an option. If you receive God's forgiveness towards you, then you are obligated to forgive others. That's the perspective. Think about what Jesus, how Jesus forgave you. I don't think Peter, this hit his mind until he physically saw Jesus being beaten for his sins, strung up on a cross, that it really dawned on him just how much God had forgiven And now he's in turn called to forgive others. So here's the steps. 
Number one is you've got you to you write down the names of people that you are harboring stuff against. Write down their name. Don't think it in your mind. Write it on paper. I'm going to tell you why. Write it on. Who, do, who is it that you do, never want to see again? Who is it that you find yourself having imaginary conversations with? Who is it that you would like to pay back if you thought you could get away with? Name the family, the friend, the ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-spouse, whoever it might be, you know, deceased parent, work associate, coaches, bosses, whoever it is. And here's the next important step. You must determine what they owe you. What do they owe you? You can't forgive people in broad generalities. Oh, I just forgive them. I hear people say, well, I've forgiven them a long time ago. Really? Doesn't sound like it. You cannot cancel a debt that you've not clearly identified. What do they owe you? Is it an apology? Is it a marriage? It is a childhood. What is it? that they owe you. What, what do you think in your mind, in your heart, that you know what? If, if we're going to be right, this is what you owe me. You've got to write it down. Step number three is you cancel the debt. Remember, the only way this can happen is either they pay you what they owe you or you cancel the debt that you feel like they owe you. And if you're the one canceling the debt, yes, you are the one who absorbs the cost. So, for example, I would say something like this. Heavenly Father, I believe my dad has taken away my childhood. I've held on to this thing, this debt for so long, enough is enough. I choose to cancel the debt that my dad owes me. He doesn't owe me anymore. Just as you forgave me. I'm forgiving him. And that was happening on the video. Did you notice what the young man was flashing before his dead father? This is everything you took from me. This is everything you took from my mother. This is everything you stole from our family. But in the end, I forgive you. I'm canceling the debt. You don't owe me anymore. And that's exactly what your heavenly father did for you. 